From the heart of the Nipty Radio recording studios, high above 107 Columbia, with our eyes on Lake Placid, where over this past weekend, the annual DASNY Summer Conference was held, and the Nipty Prosecutors of the Year Awards were given out. They were given to District Attorney Whedon Wetmore and Assistant District Attorneys Joseph Muroff and Yael Levy. Congratulations to all. Today, we'll be discussing third-party culpability, primo determinations as to whether the defense has the right to present such evidence to a jury. One weapon in the defense trial arsenal is the presentation of arguments and evidence claiming to demonstrate that someone other than the defendant may have committed the alleged crime. This is most common in cases of assault and murder, but also will be found on occasion in the context of a robbery or any other case where the identification is at issue. This type of evidence has often been referred to as evidence of third-party culpability, a suggestion to the jury that a specific person other than the defendant committed the crime can be extremely influential in raising a reasonable doubt in their minds, even when the evidence of that person's connection to the present crime is very thin or perhaps non-existent, or it may simply be a suggestion that the victim had a lot of enemies and thus many people must have had a motive to harm him. Defense attorneys have been known to go as far as to suggest that, despite the fact that defendant is known to the victim, the victim is a sordid character who obviously would lie about who did this because someone else must have scared him enough that he would not blame the actual perpetrator. For this reason, the Court of Appeals has held, in People v. Primo in the year 2001, that there is a standard of proof required to be shown by the defense before it will be permitted to present such evidence or make such arguments. Let's say, for example, your murder victim had a criminal record for drug dealing. The defense might attempt to introduce that record, not to show he or she was a bad person per se, which is not permitted, but to raise the specter that anyone with that victim's background must have enemies, and thus there are many people with motives to attack him not just the defendant. In the case of People v. Gamble in the First Department, year 2010, the trial court's preclusion of such evidence for being too speculative and violative of the primo standards was upheld by the appellate division. In cases of assault or attempted murder where the victim testifies and his or her criminal record is revealed as part of the general cross-examination of the witness, the defense may still try to argue this person has many enemies, so who knows who might have committed the crime. It is imperative that if you suspect the defense will take this approach, you make a motion in limine as early as possible to prevent any inappropriate cross-examination questions or inferences suggested by defense to the jury, or more appropriately, before the case commences, you remind the defense of their obligation under Primo to inform the court of their obligation and to make an offer of proof to justify such evidence and arguments. Use the case of People v. Smith from the Court of Appeals in the year 2011 to assist in reminding the court such unsupported arguments are not proper to be made by the defense in their summations. The defense may well wait until the summation to actually raise the specter, so you need to be prepared to make that motion in limine before the summations as well. In Primo, the Court of Appeals addressed the issue of what is the standard to be applied by trial courts in determining the admissibility of such third-party culpability evidence. 
The court also held that the defense must present an offer of proof to the court prior to the presentation of any such evidence to allow the court the opportunity to make the appropriate balancing analysis. This procedure has become known as a primo hearing, although actual witnesses are seldom called at this procedure. As the court wrote, the admission of evidence of third-party culpability may not rest on mere suspicion or surmise. In practice, the balancing is best performed by requiring the defense at the earliest reasonable opportunity to make an offer of proof outside the presence of the jury to explain how it would introduce evidence of third-party culpability. The court will then hear any counter-arguments from the prosecutor, weigh the considerations, and make its determination followed by a clear directive as to what it will and will not allow. Please keep in mind that as we discuss the defense introducing evidence, this obviously is not limited to evidence they would present on their case, because in many cases the defense never does present a case, but rather elicits evidence from your witnesses during cross-examination to make its points. So the concept of primo evidence might very well be elicited by the defense from your witnesses during their cross-examination, which is another reason why you must address the potential for this type of evidence from the defense as early as possible before the case starts. In identifying the standard to be applied in determining the admission of such evidence and arguments, the court noted that the appellate divisions have employed the term clear link in describing the standard they have been using to determine if the trial courts have correctly excluded such evidence. The Primo Court noted that the term clear link standard was nothing more than an abbreviation for the conventional balancing test that applies to the admission of all evidence. The court, however, was concerned that if it had adopted this clear link language, it may be easily misread as suggesting the evidence of third-party culpability occupies a special or exotic category of proof. The court went on to note, to the extent that the clear link standard implies no more than an abbreviation for the conventional balancing test, it presents no problem. A review of clear link cases reveals that the courts would very likely have made the same ruling regardless of the nomenclature. Clear link and similar coinages, however, may be easily misread as suggesting that evidence of third-party culpability occupies a special or exotic category of proof. The better approach we hold is to review the admissibility of third-party culpability evidence under the general balancing analysis that governs the admissibility of all evidence. The court went on to specifically identify the criteria to be used in making this analysis. Is it relevant? And if it is, is its probative value outweighed by the prospective trial delay or undue prejudice to the opposing party or confusing the issues or misleading the jury? The Court of Appeals revisited these issues in People v. Powell in the year 2016. It once again wanted to assure that the standard that was used to determine the admissibility of this evidence was the same as is used for the admission of any evidence, and that the trial courts did not hold the defense to a higher standard. It also noted that there need not be a specific individual suspect for the defense to meet their burden. The court wrote, in other words, courts should exclude evidence of third-party culpability that has slight probative value and strong potential for undue prejudice, delay, and confusion, or where the evidence is so remote and speculative 
that it does not sufficiently connect to the third party to the crime. We have reaffirmed this evidentiary standard. They also noted that basically it should be evaluated in accordance with the ordinary evidentiary principles by balancing the proffered evidence probative value against its potential for undue prejudice, delay, and confusion. And further noted, it does not necessarily require a specific accusation that an identified individual committed the crime. There is a certain degree of irony to the fact that when you read the Primo decision, you'll discover that the case actually involved a reversal based on the fact that the court had improperly precluded the introduction of third-party culpability evidence. But in so doing, the court created the standard by which all should be evaluated and, most importantly, created the obligation of the defense to present their intentions to the court before such evidence or arguments were made to the jury. The Primo Court examined the specific criteria to be used in this general balancing analysis. In fact, you should use the Primo decision when looking for a foundation for the argument for or against the admission of any evidence, not just third-party culpability. For the citations of today's Nipty Practice Tip Authority, please be sure to read the written version of the practice tip. Also, for an expanded discussion of this topic, please be sure to see the memo in PE entitled Third-Party Culpability Primo Hearings. As always, our thanks to our crack producer and key grip, Jonathan Marconi Crispino. To all of you out there, be well and stay ready, my friends.